Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pure and Simple Bible Podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards, your host, and we're in the middle of a great conversation about the fruits of covetousness, which we're entitling in a study called Gaslighting. Gaslighting, this manipulation of relationship where we, over a long period of time, convince someone else that uh, their reality is not valid, that their thoughts are not valid. Uh, this, is, this is what gaslighting is in psychological terms. It's a modern idea, or I guess a modern vocabulary term for um, some things that, that maybe we've understood for a while, but the word itself might be a bit challenging. We talked about that some last week, and I just want to emphasize before we jump back into the study that the, the idea that we're after here, what Cole and I are discussing is that covetousness, this great sin that we often don't realize just how great it is, can often gaslight us, that is, manipulate our reality into thinking that we don't have enough, uh, we're not, uh, uh, we, we need to pursue more stuff and things, to the detriment of a very healthy biblical discipline called contentment. And so I want to encourage us as we go back into this conversation to realize just how much we're often manipulated by covetousness and the desire for more, and especially in a culture where materialism is kind of the, the status symbol of, of uh, our, our value or our worth. All around us are people who are um, drowning in covetousness, drowning in materialism. So how do we as Christians separate ourselves from that mindset and that comes to the discipline of contentment. Let's continue this great Bible study with Cole at this time. A great definition for us to apply from Scripture itself when it comes to covetousness is 1 John 2, 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. And if I can steal some of your studies, Thunder, the, the part that... Uh, like what I naturally go to is is some of the scriptures that you have in the very next slide about Colossians 3 verse 5, Ephesians 5 5. Covetousness is idolatry. It is the worship of stuff and things. Mm. And uh, that, I guess, circling back to your point earlier of the, the confessor who was taking confessions and trying to hear from this rich man. And the rich man was saying that, you know, I guess nobody does it. That's why nobody confesses it. And he was concerned because everybody does it. Well, the reason it's so bad, at least from my perspective, is because it it's not just about stuff and things. It's never about having stuff and things. There's there there are plenty of Bible men of great faith who have a lot of stuff and things, mm-hmm. and they're still men of great faith. But mm-hmm. there's also men who are poor that are faithful, and so like the mm-hmm. the stuff and things itself doesn't matter. It's the way one. I, I guess is craving or, or longing for it. And Colossians three verse five says, put to death, uh, put your members, sorry, put to death your members, which are on the earth, covetousness, which is idolatry. I mean, if that doesn't tell you straight up what it is, uh, you're missing the point, right? It's mm-hmm. covetousness is a big, big deal to the heart of God. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's, it, it is a big deal all throughout scripture you read colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 covetousness is one of those things that gets more severe in the new covenant not very many things 
go from the old covenant to the new covenant and increase in severity. But when I read the scriptures on covetousness, there seems to be, if anything, an increase in severity and disdain for the covetous man. And you you brought up an awesome point right there that I hope everybody caught. You you made the distinction that covetousness is not tied to what you possess. You can have the richest man on earth may not be covetous. And you could have a poor, poor man that you would not look at and think that they have anything, but that could be the most covetous person in their heart that exists. It's a... Right. And both people need to pay equal attention to it. Just because we don't have much doesn't mean that we don't long for much. And we need to check that within ourselves. You made a statement earlier about how from the Old to the New Testament, it appears that the um, consequences of covetousness, or maybe the explanation of what it is, are more extreme in the New than they are in the Old. Can you... Uh, flesh that out a little bit more. What did it mean in the old? You know, the references that we have, the references that are in the New Testament. How does it, um, how, how does it expand across the covenants? Yeah. So, I was telling you earlier as we were discussing what covet is applied to. That uh, so there's 35 uses of the the word the English word covet with an asterisk. So if you if you Use a concordance and, and type in covet with an asterisk after it. It's going to give you every, um, if I was an English major, I would know the right way to say this, but any form of the word covet. Sure. 17 of the 35 times were in the Old Testament, which means that the New Testament talks about this slightly more than the Old Covenant did. In right. the Old Covenant, um, it refers to and it, it talks about hating covetousness. It says you shall not covet. It says the wicked covet, the iniquity of one's covetousness, and woe to him who covets. Right. So it's definitely a negative thing in the old covenant. But then we get to the new covenant usage of it, and it begins to say things like covetousness defiles a man. It is a debased mind. It is not mm. fitting for a saint. You mm -hmm. shall not it is something that is of the world. It will cause a saint to disinherit the kingdom of God. Yeah. It shall not be named among you. It is not fitting for saints. To your point from earlier in Colossians, it is considered idolatry. It is something that disqualifies an elder. It's used for exploitation and deception, and it caused one to be called accursed children. Yeah, that's a lot more extreme than the, the Old Testament. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, now, it, go ahead. You had a point you're going to make. Oh, I was. I was just going to say simply that it's. It, it's not. It's not something that's just. Oh, I kind of like things. You know, I. I kind of really want that. And you insert your that that you that we really want. It, there's more to it than that, and it, sure. the Bible is is much more serious about this conversation than that. Right. Well, as you prepare to summarize this uh, first big point, show me a covetous man. Um, I want to share a scripture that we haven't got the chance to consider yet. And then I'd like for you to uh, be able to elaborate on some of these, these points on your final slide. 
it it made me think of in the garden um, in Genesis chapter three when Eve is talking to the devil and he finally convinces her. And Genesis three verse six, she commits the way that I, you know, see the the three big sins as First uh, John chapter two talks about lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Right. Mm-hmm. We see her commit these in Genesis 3, 6, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It says, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave it also unto her husband. And he did also eat. That idea of the tree was uh, to be desired to make one wise. Uh, The Hebrew word, and I don't speak Hebrew. So I'm just going to make it up, like pretend like I know what I'm talking about. But I believe it's chamad. And that word means to delight. But you know what it also means? Beauty, greatly beloved, delectable thing, covet. And I thought, ooh, that's cool. Uh, not for her. Uh, you know, I, I'm making light of, of one of the greatest tragedies, if not the greatest tragedy in human history. But it's, I guess, that grammatically... Uh, that Hebrew word Hamad has at least a, a kinship to the, the word covetous. And right there at the very beginning, part of the fall was covetousness. Mm-hmm. That's a great Why? point. And, and to me, I think that's as we talk about the core of it, and we title this the battle for desire, is that it was there at the beginning and there's a kinship to it in the beginning because this is the stem of everything, right? We're talking about what is it that we see beauty in? What is it that we see the value in? What is it that our hearts and our affections and our desires are set upon? Exactly. Exactly. Well, tell me about uh, Adolf Hitler's quote. Okay. And uh, let's, let's wrap this point up. Yes. So Adolf Hitler is oftentimes credited with saying this he didn't technically come up with this line but he definitely lived out this line and the line is if you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it people will eventually come to believe it and i think that's what's happening especially with covetousness and what we set our desires upon is we are constantly told over and over what it is that we should want and if we're told it enough we're told it long enough and we're told it big enough we will eventually uh, come to believe it yeah so yeah you have got you believing the door is locked what does that mean okay i was trying to decide if i was going to skip over it or so there's another story um and you can edit out whatever that you want to nah. there's another <laughs> there's another story about these guys uh, they were in an office setting and they began playing capture the flag Now, I don't know exactly how you play capture the flag in an office setting, but I assume that each one had their office and they had something designated as their flag that was to be stolen. So as you can imagine, guys in an office setting playing capture the flag, things begin to get out of control. Guys are taking it too serious. Things are getting too competitive. um, And they had to set rules for it. You could only steal somebody's flag during business hours between (laughs) eight and five. Uh, You couldn't steal it before or after. So one of these guys comes into his office early one morning before 8 o'clock, and he hears somebody in his closet. It was one of his coworkers waiting until business hours to steal his flag. So he grabbed a chair, 
and he threw the chair over up against and underneath the handle of the door and said, ha, I caught you. You were trying to steal my flag. Now you're locked in there all day long. And the coworker locked in, in the closet began to complain. That's not fair. Let me out. Uh, and the guy said, nope, I'm not going to let you out. But what he was realizing as he was trying to lock his buddy in was that the chair was too tall, the handle was too short, and he, he couldn't get it wedged in there to lock his buddy in. But he had already told him that he was locked in. And so he just said, nope, you're locked in. I'm not letting you out. Well, that guy, <laughs> that oh guy stayed in there for hours until several hours later they heard the ceiling tiles rustling. You have a drop <laughs> that you can remove the tiles. The guy had climbed up over the wall and through the ceiling to get out from behind an unlocked door. He had never tested the door to know right. that it was open. Right. And sometimes we get things that we're told. We just begin to believe them. We never confront them. We never question them. And this idea that you need more in your life, the $7.1 trillion lie, can easily become an unlocked door to us. Right, right. You know, um, great story. I, I feel like there's been times in my life where I've I've had the, the door in front of me, but I was just, I believed it. And so I, I went through the ceiling instead of it. So, uh the the final question i guess i want to ask you we're going to we're going to have to skip the one on elders for time but uh how do i identify it in myself do you have any thoughts on what our listeners can do to you know practically meditate on making sure that covetousness is not an active sin i think it it constant self evaluation constant, just honest self-evaluation on where does my core desire lie? And if you have people in your circle that you can trust to evaluate how you're living as well, to potentially point out blind spots, uh, will also be helpful. But as much honest reflection as possible on the principles of covetousness and what it is really that that you want. Can we be honest that I just want the big house because I want a big house and I really like it. And it's not really that I need it to be hospitable. You see how, can I be honest with myself that, that I'm not just making excuses to get something that I want. Right. Or is there really a good core behind what I want? Right. Um, right. And the question yeah. with, the, with the elder is, I think it's, more difficult than that too at times because it's easy for me to answer your question and say well you just need you need to evaluate yourself this is really an internal thing but covetousness is so serious as well that there is a level of it that it should be something that we can identify in others and we can place our finger on and say that this this is a problem sure well the opposite of 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 covetousness is contentment and going back to the very beginning of our conversation you know we we kind of began with the end in mind of saying, here's the Christian principle that we're moving towards. And this is the second big point out of three in your study uh, is on contentment. But the way you, you frame it is contentment, no apologies. So 
why why should I not be sorry about my contentment? Right. So we should be able in this point to accept biblical contentment for what it is, is what I'll say at the start of this point. As we begin okay. to look at contentment with no apologies, and we'll get now towards the end of this point to the no apologies. But as we approach it, what we would say at the beginning is, let's see what the Bible says about our contentment and be willing to accept it in all of its simplicity or all of its difficulty or whatever we find within Scripture. Let's see what the Bible has to say about our contentment. Right, right. Well, you do kind of, uh, it looks like a a single verse study for this section. Mm -hmm. And Hebrews 3, or 13 verse 5 is that verse. What does it say and, and what does it have to do with the with this study? Sure. So now is a great time for somebody to open their Bible. We've been going through kind of word studies and moving through a lot of, of information. And now as we begin to get to the practical application, turn yourself over to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Uh, and there it says, let your conduct be without covetousness. And maybe you're like, Cole and Jonathan, we're, what are we in? 30, 40 minutes into this now? Uh, 54 minutes into right. this? We could have skipped that 54 minutes, and you could have just said, let your conduct be without covetousness. <laughs> we could have started here. Right. <laughs> uh, I didn't frame the study that way because I wanted to make sure that we all understand how big of a deal it is, that we don't just move past this phrase. But then it says immediately after, let your conduct be without covetousness. We can probably say we've established that point. The writer then says, be content. Be content comes from the Greek word G714. And it means to be possessed of unfailing strength, to be strong, to suffice, to be enough. So he's going to tell us, instead of being covetous, Instead of having your desires misled, instead, be possessed of unfailing strength. And Hmm. the definition is also to be enough. What is enough is a large question in in this discussion as well. But he's going to tell us to be content in this passage. Yeah, being being content with what? Like I, mm-hmm. what I've just now started to realize, I, I hadn't really maybe looked at it ahead of time in much detail, but the verse isn't over yet. Right. So what, what comes next? Yep. So the verse goes on to say, be content with such things as you have. You see, he says, you should have unfailing strength as opposed to your covetousness. You should be sufficient and have enough with such things as you have what's interesting to me about that is contentment is not contingent on the status of the things that i possess you see he didn't say cole you be content with x dollars and x house he says be content with such things as you have i have something different than you jonathan you have something different than me but he doesn't even address that in this passage. He says, be content with such things as you have. Right. Right. Okay. Um, now we, 
man, I, I want to get to this, uh, my capitalist defense mechanism, but we're not quite oh, ready for that yet. Right. We, we've got, we're almost yeah, I, there. I'm, I'm yeah. eager. <laughs> yes. Okay. So let's, let's finish off uh, Hebrews chapter 13 and sure. verse five. He says, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So you say, well, Cole, that's, that's just not fair. I can't be content with such things as I have because my lot in life is, will de define your lot in life and define what you think that is not enough. But the writer here says, be content with such things as you have. And the reason for that is he says that he himself has said, being God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the things that you have are enough because I am with you. Right. It reminds me that word content is the same Greek word used uh, by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 10, when Paul is asking for the thorn in the flesh to be removed from him. God responds and says, my grace is sufficient for you, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, for my mm -hmm. strength is made perfect in weakness. That word sufficient for you is the same exact word as the writer in Hebrews saying content. So God oh. is saying, I am enough for you. Be content with what you have, because even if you are weak, I'm providing the sufficiency that you need. I'm providing what is enough and I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, I think my mind naturally goes here. Your study naturally goes here, but you've got a scripture. First Timothy six, eight says having food and clothing with these things, we should be content. Um, I think it's easy for us to start asking or justifying, you know, who does this apply to? Who's it for? Um, and, and it's almost like we try to insulate ourselves from it, you know? Yeah. So yes. why don't you answer that question for me and, and maybe help our listeners process who this command of being content with what we have, food and clothing, et cetera. Uh, yeah. Who's that for? Yeah. So we definitely could not leave a discussion on contentment without addressing first Timothy chapter six and verse eight, because it's the same exact word that we're discussing right here. And you mentioned my capitalist defense mechanism. Yeah. And you kind of you kind of uh, described it slightly there. Is it's if you're like me, you read First Timothy chapter six and verse eight. It says, Having food and clothing with these we shall be content. The first thing that I begin to do as an American capitalist is say, he didn't mean what he just said, everybody. It's okay. He, <laughs> <laughs> Food and clothing is not all you have to have. Like there's health insurance. You better be working on your pension plan. You at least need three bedrooms and two bathrooms and two cars because dad need one and mom need one. like that is the first thing that comes to my mind is to defend that. No, he didn't really mean that. But then I have to be honest with myself and I have to ask, well, who does first Timothy chapter six and verse eight apply to? Does it just apply to Paul and Timothy and some personal decisions that they were making yeah. in their journeys? Right. And I, I was listening to several studies kind of in thinking through this contentment and covetousness. And, and there was some great points being made by some people on covetousness and how it's completely inappropriate and contentment must be had. And then they got to hear 
in First Timothy chapter six and verse eight, where we get some very direct instruction on our contentment. And they said, "No, no, don't worry. Paul and Timothy were just making some decisions on their own. Right. We as Christians are not held to that standard. If you don't want to hold to this, like, don't worry about that." Mm. Mm-hmm. We'll see it's if that. Rem- pa- Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say it reminds me of the, like, what I'm hearing in that defense of their stuff and things is the the guy who told the confessor that nobody really struggles with this so that's why nobody confesses it exactly it's uh there's a big denial of this struggle with covetousness i like uh you you bring out the point um in verse three and verse seven so Mm -hmm. first timothy six verse three and verse seven it's talking Mm -hmm. about anyone and it's talking about we or us. And so it seems like uh, this can't just be about Paul and Timothy only. I don't, I don't think that the context allows it. Just a few verses before in verse 3, like you said, we're using uh, the pronouns anyone. Yeah. The verse right before, he's making conclusions based on we brought nothing into this world. We shall carry nothing out. Right. Are, are are they the only ones that brought nothing into this world? Right, right, right. What, what did we come into this world with? What I came in with, with an American flag and a 401k. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. And the right to it. Get off my back. Yes, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we live in in the richest, most opulent time maybe ever. We're the middle class even. The middle class has more um, comforts than any other middle class. For one thing, middle class didn't exist. There was just the rich and the poor for, you know, since the beginning of time. So we're living in a very unique cultural experience where the the majority of people fit into a, a group of an economic group where we, we have a lot more than just food and clothing. And so this is a struggle for us. I find it interesting that you kind of leave it there. It's like you just leave this on the table in your study we uh you've shown us step one a a covetous man step two you make no apologies about how contentment is a command and then you leave it there and moving moving into the third point you talk about this idea of of never enough and so i'm curious what what are you trying to make here in this third point about never enough how does it fit in with the first two yeah so it fits in with the first two of and it alludes to a little bit where you kind of went initially in the beginning is well, can we have this idea of to covet and, and, and a mentality that it's never enough, I'm never satisfied when it comes to God? Uh, let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 17. It's going to be a few verses here. Philippians chapter 4, Paul begins to say, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content in verse 11. So that's the point that we just came from. Right. We've now okay. learned to be content. Verse 12, he says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right. So at times I can remember very easily that Paul suffered need in his journeys and he knew how to be abased 
But he says here that he also knew how to abound. We need to remember where Paul came from. Paul was probably pretty affluent. Right. In his role in Judaism before he became a Christian. Right. So Paul knew what it meant to give up the finer things in life, if you will. He knew what it meant to walk away from something comfortable. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to say in verses 16 and 17, You sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Right. So he says, you're sending me things. I'm asking for physical aid, whether that was monetarily, whether they were sending him food, whatever support they were sending him. He says, you're sending it to me and I'm asking for it even at times. But I want you to know, I don't just want the gift for the gift's sake. I only want the gift because I am seeking the fruit that abounds to your account. Yeah. Yeah. The the point of this final portion of the study is that there is never enough fruit for the Lord. Mm. And if we're going to have an attitude within us that I think humans inherently do in some ways of just an always seeking, always growing mentality, that drive and that desire needs to be directed to the Lord of our lives and giving him the fruit that that is what we're seeking. And there will never be enough fruit for the Lord as long as we live and we have opportunity to do more. Right. I like that a lot. Um, I'm curious, you know, as we start to get towards a wrap up, uh, I really like just the way you organize your thoughts. It's easy for me to listen to. It's easy for me to follow along with. So you take some time before you, you do a call to action to just summarize. I would, I'm curious if you would just summarize these, these three big points that we've been talking about and and give our listeners one more chance to conceptualize the study as a whole. Sure. Definitely. So in our study on gaslighting, which was a study of the battle for desire, we looked first of all at show me a covetous man. And we learned that we need to beware of the covetous man, both internally and externally. We moved from there to contentment with no apologies. We looked at Hebrews chapter 13, as well as first Timothy chapter six. And we needed to learn from that, that we need to accept the simplicity and sufficiency of biblical contentment mm-hmm. and not be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we concluded with never enough from Philippians chapter four, largely verse 17, that we should earnestly desire the fruit of God's work. That's right. where our ambitions lie. Right. Now, um, I, I'm going to skip forward a couple because I, I want to ask you about Jesus. It seems like Jesus, he addresses these desires the best in, in very simple and elegant ways. What does he say about desire and, and where it might lead to? Yeah, Jesus would summar- summarizes this up. He says, what profit is it to a man? If he gains the whole world and loses his own soul, that's a question that we need to ask ourselves in light Mm -hmm. of this as we consider our lives. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Then he also says in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Mm -hmm. Well, there's, you know, 
the whole scriptures through. I think one of my big takeaways from this conversation is from the beginning to end, uh, that battle for the heart, covetousness is a part of it. Um, desiring stuff and things instead of desiring God. And if, if there is a, um, a call for me, just personally, I'm, I'm just speaking extemporaneously, but if there's a call for me, it's to, in, to just try to make sure that, uh, unlike Eve, who she coveted to a point where it, it cost her her um, relationship with God, then, then I should be sober-minded about it as well. But that's just me kind of speaking from the hip. I, I'd like to give you an opportunity to uh, provide a call to action or to, just to summarize or to give a final thought on your study to our listeners. Yeah, uh, my, kind of like you're saying, my personal what I take from this study uh, and my call to action for myself is that I'm going to work harder to draw my desires nearer to Jesus. Mm. And, and I say, draw my desires nearer to Jesus. I, I want it to be deeper than just what are my plans tomorrow? What am right. I working on today? I right. want my core, my desires that drives everything else to be closer to Jesus after going through this study. Well, brother, I'm so glad you uh, went through it with me. I hope our listeners uh, enjoy it as much as I did as well. There's certainly, it's a sober study. Like you, you go through this and you think it's easy to, for others to, or it's easy for me to think that others need this, right? But it, the, the sober reality is that I need it too. It's easy to get caught up in the idolatry of stuff and things. So thank you for coming on and thank you for talking about it with me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I appreciate you taking the time to have me on. Appreciate the work that you do in this. Very thankful for Cole and for that conversation that we had. And I'm grateful for you, dear listener. And I'm grateful for those who subscribe to the podcast and use it in their own lives and in their own ministries. You know, I was at a lunch um Oh, what do we want to call it? I was at a work lunch, right, for something that I'm involved in. And it was me and several other people who were there uh, who are not familiar with my podcast. And uh, just through the, the, the course of conversation across that lunch, uh, I had several opportunities to just highlight the Christian worldview, to uh, advocate for Bible living and for um, the doctrines that we uh, uh, hold and dear that, that, that we hold as dear as Christians. Sorry for my tongue-tiedness there. Anyway, uh, across it, I was able to casually bring up this podcast, and immediately phones were out. People were um, either subscribing to it or were just saving it for their future use. And it was a really neat interaction because um, it was passive evangelism, per se, in that um, there were others that were interested in it, and I was able to share it with them. So, uh, I, I bring that up simply to say for you, friend, in the ministries that you do, uh, this is a great resource for you to be able to have in your digital hip pocket and you're able to share it with others. And then it allows them to continue to hear Bible truths through these Bible conversations. And so I'm grateful and I'm hopeful that it'll be useful for you in your everyday life. Now, you can always go to the website for more information www.pureandsimplebible.com. A lot of stuff that's there for you to use, to download and use either in your own life or with others, absolutely free. And uh, I hope that uh, it will be a blessing to you going forward. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon.